0: Stardate 1112.2020, welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod, a kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new Star Trek and beyond. I'm your reluctant captain, Mike Moody Garcia. With me on the view screen, we have
1: Mariah Gossett
0: and Grant.
1: <laughs> Just Grant.
0: <laughs> Just Grant. And uh, Clyde is not with us tonight, but he'll be back uh, hopefully next week. Missy misty clyde uh tonight we're streaming the pod live on youtube twitch facebook and twitter to review and break down star trek discovery season three episode five die trying not a liam neeson movie die trying an episode of star trek before we do that mariah can you let everyone know how to support this little podcast
1: Yes, so there are a couple of ways you can help support the pod. One is by watching us live right now. That's great. You're already doing it if you're watching this right now. If not, and you're listening to the audio version, make sure you have subscribed to the podcast. Also, if you're watching us on video, we'd appreciate it if you subscribe to the audio version of the pod as well. We need those download numbers. It helps us out. Uh, So you can subscribe to the pod on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) To find the links to all of that and more, visit StarTrekPod.co. Grant. How else can people
2: help us out? Patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. We are building us a little bit of a, a Trekkie community. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of Trekkie communities out there, but ours is probably the best. I think. And so. you, Yeah. You guys should join it. Go to Patreon.com slash Star Trek pod to make a per episode pledge. And if you give us two bucks an episode, eight bucks a month, roughly maybe 10, if it's a, it's a five weeker, I don't know. Um, You can join us over at our exclusive Slack channel where we chat about all things Trek. We also put up exclusive little mini episodes here or there just for our Patreon subscribers. And we try and do little fun things all the time over there as well that we would love for you to be able to be a part of. So we appreciate all of your support. We try to make it worthwhile for you. And you are keeping the lights on for us over at patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Thank you, Grant. And if you are watching us live, uh, toss us some comments and questions in the live chat. Be be sure to type capital pod, P-O-D, if you want us to maybe mention your comment or question on the pod a little later. All right. Let's beam onto the Voyager J and dive into Die Trying, episode five of season three. Of disco. This episode was written by Sean Cochran, story by James Stuff and Sean Cochran, and directed by Maja Vrilo, uh, who also directed some episodes of Picard, uh, One Ep of Disco last mm-hmm. season, and Runaway, The Short Trick with Poe and Tilly.
1: One of my faves.
0: Yeah, she's really good. All right. Uh, die Trying. This is the one where the we meet New Starfleet. N U Starfleet. And they're not great, but they're not bad. They're kind of like arrogant assholes you can easily win over with like a little elbow grease and a spore drive.
1: I think the <laughs> spore drive helps, yeah.
0: I think so. So um, this is Star Trek Discovery Pod, so we don't give you hot takes. We give you hot freaks.
2: Hot freaks!
0: Ooh. Hot freaks! Who's going first? I can uh, go. Okay. Oh, oh, you go.
1: All right. All right. I'm doing it. So, um, I mean, be still my little nerd heart, that opening sequence into all of the ships, including my beloved Voyager, even if it is the 11th generation of that ship. I got really excited about it. There was references to Nog. There were beautiful, like, incredible special effects and like the visual effects designers really outdid themselves on this one from home. Like, again hats off we said it a few times I thought they knocked this one out of the park um, I like that we had a science puzzle I like that we had a little bit of political drama I'm very interested in this Kronberg what I'm assuming is the section 31 backdoor pilot that we're about to get here um, yeah I really enjoyed this one I can say there is a couple of cheesy ball moments but I enjoyed them <clears throat> um, the way that the crew was like nerding out over every ship i feel like was the audience nerding out over every ship and they were just being us for that moment um yeah and i appreciate the wariness of new trek i am very worried about our little adira and what happened to them where did they go i didn't like that we didn't get to see them at the end of the episode that it made me seemed... very nervous
2: yeah that made I was like, is no one asking?
1: Yeah, I was like, what? no one's gonna go and make sure. Like, Hugh, can you go follow up? Like, I need, I need some more contact. Um And I'm very excited about this possible thread of a clue through the music. So yeah,
2: mm-hmm, excited. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go next, and I'm uh, I'm a little bit mixed on this episode. I thought it's very exciting getting to see this new realization of what this futuristic, um, r- small, isolated Starfleet, like hanging on by a thread is, and this really cool future tech that they have, as as well as um, this kind of uh, lo-fi reach, I guess, that they have. Um, and how they're how they're kind of approaching everything with discovery made sense to me to a certain extent, except for then they kind of backtrack and waffle and just give in to whatever, like, like you said in, in the intro, Mike, there are some plot contrivances that happen in this, which just feel a, a rushed end uh, means to an end. But for isn't
1: that Star Trek in the end?
0: <laughs> it's,
2: It's
0: Sometimes. It's
2: stuff that I don't like in Trek, I guess. (laughs) Um, So, a little bit of a shrug there, but I was really impressed with how well rounded this episode seemed and how it really gave so much great time and moments to all of the cast and crew, pretty much. I think there's maybe like three of the extended cast that didn't really get a good moment. Everyone else did, and I was just feeling it. I was like, oh, wow. This really spreads the love. It makes it feel like a team. It feels really cohesive. And it set up a couple interesting mysteries going forward, including the music one that I'm just like, oh, yes, that's the stuff I love. So, yeah, mixed, mixed feelings on it, but I'm, I'm digging
0: it. I'm going to echo that. I had some mixed feelings, too. I had a really long um, hot freak last week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and do a short one this week. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm and pretty the mixed on this. Time
1: starts. Now. Go,
0: uh, I'm pretty mixed on it. This episode had a lot to do. It had to introduce us to the concept of what Star, what Starfleet and the Federation is now, a thousand years after the jump. That was a heavy load. It had to um, negotiate the uh, relationship between Discovery showing up out of the blue and new uh, Starfleet, and Then they jammed in this weird side mission that ended up being the the overall, you know, thematic piece of the entire episode. There was just a lot going on. And I thought this was kind of a mess. This episode was kind of a mess. However, there were some really great things in this episode. I, I loved all the effects. I loved seeing the new Starbase or the headquarters of Starfleet. That was beautiful. Um, I loved all the little character moments and lots of great comedy beats. Opening up with Saru's Captain's Log, his first official Captain's Log, was great. Um, So as a whole, it didn't hold up for me very well, and some of it felt very contrived. But there were pieces that I absolutely loved, and I like where we're going. There was just so much to fit in here. And about the halfway point, I was like, oh, they're adding more? There's another mission? Okay, why don't we just go hang with Adira for a while? But um peace, non. Hope we see you soon. And I'm kinda mixed. That's my hot freak.
1: Yeah, the non thing's interesting because I felt like they just announced her as like a series regular. So I'm wondering if she's gonna sort of come back around at some point. So she'll probably be back, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, it well it seemed uh, like such a weirdly forced exit, didn't yeah. it?
1: But that's why I don't think
2: it's an exit. Yeah, but it was just like this, oh, we don't have any time to puzzle pieces out, but if we're crashing into a planet, we have about 20 minutes to kind of negotiate and and source ideas for something, but non, it's like, no other options, bye, go ahead and Let- stay here on, in, in here with, and I didn't even get it, is she staying there with a guy it. that's gonna die and she's just gonna non not help him medically, but just okay, be that- there to watch the seeds? Let's let's jump into that. I was okay. gonna,
0: I was gonna say, hey, let's let's try to go chronologically. But fuck that, non. Okay, great to see a focus on non, right? Mm-hmm. Even if this plot was that she was involved in was a little sloppy, seemed kind of crammed into this episode, but it kind of sucks because non is now gone immediately after we get the most development for her character, and her species. And her culture, like, here's everything about Nan and her species. Here are the the dramatic intricacies of how they live. And now she's out, like, immediately. But I read Nan's whole journey here. It just felt like it was representing or trying to represent the larger theme of the episode, which was trying to find your home or trying to find a center or where you belong. Like, Disco wants to be home at New Starfleet and... They're not quite there yet. And we see Nan, who we know is not quite at home on disco since she was an Enterprise crew member who just happened to stay on disco last season. But now she may actually get to go back to her, her home planet with a member of her species. And these are things that were denied to her in her original era a thousand years ago. So that's cool. The thematic stuff with her was great. But... Yeah, the entire plot, the resolution of that whole thing was kind of messy, goofy execution with a plot of what was going on in this yeah. seed ship. Why did she have to stay? Like, I could figure it out, but it the show made me do a lot of, like, mental Reaching. gymnastics to, you know, it just wasn't it,
2: clear. It also echoes the, the selfless, you know, sacrifice for the good of Starfleet, what she's sure. doing, right?
0: Yeah, which is why she stayed on Disco to honor Arium's sacrifice. I guess. I guess, yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe she was just like, this seems more exciting and I can't go back to my home world anyway. I mean, in the end, she's kind of gotten more of what she's wanted, right? Because in her original timeline, um, you know, her species is not a member of the Federation. She's kind of this family disappointment because she joined, um, you know, this is a, um, they typically like don't, what, what was the phraseology she used? It was something like we're known for being like poor and like, there's all these things sort of like identity kind of things wrapped up in that. But, um, you know, I think that moment of seeing people who were succeeding in a part of the Federation for her was probably that moment of like, oh, I could go home now and just be home and still be a part of the Federation. Um, I did get confused. I was like, that ship doesn't seem that big. They couldn't just like shove it in the back of Discovery and take everybody back to the base.
0: They had a tractor beam on it. Like, right. is, that,
1: is that not an option? <laughs> and like on the second, it was like on the first watch, I th- like uh, my first watches. I try to just like feel all the feelings to get like my baseline of how I felt about the episode. And then my second watch is I'm looking out for these like details where it's just like, oh, I mean, yes, I could explain away why we're doing this. She's going to take this ship so that it's, you know, a successful um, tour for her people that are in charge of the ship. She doesn't want this to be like a moment uh, of downfall for them, you know, sort of like trying a failure. Yeah. And like trying to make it better for them, um, like reputation wise, maybe. But yeah, again, it's like a lot of mental gymnastics to sort of get there. So I'm hoping it's like a planted Seed, aha, of like something that's <laughs> going to come later.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's taken the ship back to Barzan. I yeah. guess. I, I in the moment I was like, why, what, why is she, what? But afterwards, I, I had to think about it. I was like, okay, she's taken the ship back to. I think it's Barzan. Is her? Mm-hmm. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing. But a the dude's going
2: to die in a week if he doesn't get metal, medical attention? A fake world. Well, I'm Did they even say something gonna... about like, cryo-freezing him or something? Well, I... he, he wants to die.
1: Yeah, he wants That's... to die and be with his family. And right. so I think she's going to cryo-freeze him, but she probably also needs him to live long enough to pass the voice command password onto her.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah. Um...
1: Also to me, I was like, there's no just override codes for this. This seems very precarious. That only one, because per- what if he did die in that original lot, storm?
0: A Lot of holes, a lot of holes, and the problem is that the holes, they they um, deflate the uh, the emotional impact of what, the story.
2: Right, you know. What was the part where Burnham says to her, just says to Nan, "Oh, if you stay here, though, you'll lose your rank and everything with Starfleet." Or she said something to that. Give up of your like, career. You give up your career. I'm like, yeah. how? Isn't it like, well, How is she okay. giving up her career she's, by piloting a
0: starship? Yeah, of a I think Fleet, like, starship. do this as yeah. part
2: of Starfleet? But I think she's a pretty high-ranking
1: security officer, and she's essentially going to become like a a seed
2: watcher. She's a move. the La- seeds
0: lateral move. I know. Lateral I, move. It
2: just seemed like it unnecessary seemed of a to unnecessary to her. Like, she of thing to say to her. Like she understands <laughs> she's going to be stepping away from her position on the ship. That's kind of an obvious with what she's doing. You don't have to be like, well, we're going to have to kick you out of Starfleet then. And just tear her patch off.
1: Or I was like, yeah, I will say the other moment I really loved about non and this goes into probably one of my favorite little like subsequent little moments in this episode is when she's being questioned by the the android hologram things, and she just keeps saying her rank and file over and over again, which was very funny to me. Everyone and then, in
2: that sequence.
1: Oh my god, so many gems like Hughes. Like I'm good with my murderer now killed me and then
2: so good
0: wait who the was de- the, who murdered him
1: ash tyler
0: ash tyler they ash made up Ty. at the end it's ash tyler I yeah, the, <laughs> the debrief sequences were so great mm-hmm. and they made such great use of the more comic characters like stamets reno tilly reno's just like snacking on blue chips ordering drinks the whole time Can you give
1: me something to drink I'm a little parched yeah <laughs> and then tilly's like oh is that a tiny pie I'd be very <laughs> jealous if it's a tiny pie. It's
2: a it's a cupcake I made.
1: Okay, also jealous. But anyway, sorry, very distracted by sugar. That is my my kryptonite. Um.
0: <laughs> let's let's back up. Let's back up a little bit to the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I really like the moment where Saru called Michael his number one, and it. If you're not a Star Trek fan from way back, Grant Davis, you probably thought that was a little cheesy when he looks. Looks at Michael and makes a to-do about calling her number one. But I thought it was
2: really sweet. Hadn't she been number one a couple different times,
1: though? She was for, George, like, original timeline, Giorgio. But, but
2: not for Saru.
1: Right.
0: Were right. you guys anticipating the new Federation Starfleet would be, like, evil, like, when we got to Earth a few episodes ago? Or worse than Earth? Or did you have, like, higher hopes for what it would look like? Or was what we got here kind of what you expected
1: i mean it's sort of what i expected is like i don't think we've been we've gotten the full picture of what the federation is now i'm also very interested to see what the differences are going to be between the federation and starfleet because right now we've only seen an admiral in starfleet we don't really know what the citizen government of the federation looks like yet um so I'll be interested to see what that is like at this point, because that is more of like where you saw the diplomats and like a lot of, I thought it was mostly weird that besides the refugees that they were trying to help, everyone appeared to be, there's a lot of humans, right? There was the, the one guy they showed. There are a lot of
0: bump, bumpy forehead people running around. some bumpy forehead around. people, but mm-hmm.
1: I don't, I was. There was a Kazon. Oh, a Kazon. Okay. I guess there is more. It just seemed very like the. The rank and file are very human-centric still, uh, which I thought was interesting.
0: Yeah, I think um, the Admiral, uh, Admiral Vance, had a throwaway line where he said the Federation and Starfleet headquarters exist on this Mm starbase. And we're kind of one in the same. I think they're just, for the ease of story, they're just trying to folded into one thing federation and starfleet it seemed like so i don't know if there's much of a delineation between the two anymore
2: i was liking the approach to them it wasn't what i expected but that's more along more because of what we had been discussing and how you guys were theorizing that this might be all on vulcan or it might be all the klingon planet kronos is that right Mm -hmm. Uh, um and so to see that it's, it's its own kind of isolated force field, self-powered um, hub that's just kind of floating around in space, I thought it was a really cool idea. And that the Starfleet we're exposed to isn't necessarily... It, it's, of course, not as powerful as what it was, right? But it also seems to be... There, there was something that seemed a little nefarious about it at first and it kind of waffles back and forth i'm like i'm not sure how i'm supposed to feel about them which seems intentional we're, we're new like the rest of the crew they're bringing them in they're beaming them in themselves they're not really communicating up front when burnham and saru and adira all are beamed aboard no one's there to greet them at first which seems weird as well they're just kind of dismissed, <laughs> despite knowing like, hey, the admiral is on this ship in a different body, and like that seems like there should be more pomp and circumstance to this. So it all felt a little bit uncomfortable, which I think works because it's we're we're seeing cracks in the system of what Starfleet should be. It's not quite there, and it needs. Help! It needs something to clean it up, but it is still a shadow, at least, if not a facsimile of what it should be. It's, it's, it's aiming to be that. Right. Yeah. It's not yeah, and evil. At, it's not just straight. No. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: good. And at the end, we get uh, a kind of heavy handed metaphor about the Renaissance painter that uh, Saru <laughs> that Saru um, relates to to discovery that we're here to lead you into the renaissance did y'all like vance um yeah i I appreciated vance's that's a brusque
2: yeah dude right
0: yeah i kind of enjoyed his conflict with burnham we like we the viewer we know burnham we know disco we know that they're truly representative of starfleet at its best but vance doesn't know that right so i love his line to adira like i'm not familiar with you yeah (laughs) that's like Good point. (laughs) That line summed up who he was in this episode. Like he did he did come off as arrogant and very distant, but that like you were saying, Grant, that's to be expected because what I mean. Here comes discovery uh from a thousand years in the past. No one knows who it is. It's like, hey, we're a ship that you've never heard of that is part of the Starfleet that uh, rides on uh, mushroom space. We want to hang. They're like, who are you? Who are these
2: hippies? What is this? Too much acid
1: out in space.
2: <laughs> slow your roll. We had to burn. We lost all sorts of people. We should be a little bit suspect and and defensive here. Like they're on firm ground to slow down discovery. And not give an ounce to Michael Burnham's whims of like, oh, I want to go save the day and go raid a, a seed ship. I'd be like, hold up, time travelers. <laughs> I, I hate the line where where a character says, look, it's one of two things. Either this works out great for you, or there's no lo- There's nothing lost by you giving us information on where this ship is. I'm like, yes, there's, a, there's something lost. <laughs> we don't know your your intentions. If you were bad time traveler people, we don't want to give you the information where the seed ship is. That is quite a a bit of trust they were giving for them still trying to play catch up on a ton of information that was being dropped on them.
1: Yeah. Which I think, you know, I think Burnham at this point has a little bit of trouble seeing like the forest through the trees, if you will. You know, she's just like, we're Federation, you're Federation. Why aren't we all just getting along? And like, And moving forward with this, like, why aren't you trusting me? Everyone back. I earned all of the trust back in my timeline. You know, I think because she's worked. They have a good point there. Right. Like she's worked so hard to get to that point to earn the respect of her peers. But now it's like all new peers. And I think Saru was very smart in the way that he was like, I understand completely where the Admiral is coming from. I would be this questionable as well. So I'm going to stay here as a sign of like, they wouldn't abandon their captain if they really were temporal like bandits or whatever they think they are. And then some security officers will go with the ship. Um, I have to say I loved, but I did love seeing Michael Burnham in charge of that ship <laughs> for, oh, yeah. for this mission. She was such a badass with every- when she's just like, black alert let's show them what we're made of you might want to hold on to something and i was like "Ooh, i can feel how you want to prove yourself so bad in this moment and i love it
2: <laughs> yeah she was not yeah. fucking around on there it was nope. awesome the whole and
0: the speaker. whole crew the whole the whole bridge crew is just i know like, they're all we're like,
1: gonna be on it we're gonna be so yeah <laughs> so good
0: they're like we're applying for this job we're getting this job let's mm-hmm. flex mm-hmm. in front of the uh, the new starfleet observer whatever her name was um I also like that we 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 did get to see the bridge crew and the the mycelial network trio of uh, Stamets, Reno, and Tilly. So uh, good in their functional dysfunction, which was great. But this episode really gave us um, more of the bridge crew working together in a really satisfying way, and we also saw some continuation of the crew's trauma, especially with Detmer. Uh, dealing with her PTSD still in this episode where she's like hesitating here and there trying to pull that seed ship out of the ion storm or whatever that was. Uh, I like that the show is recognizing that trauma or PTSD doesn't just go away in in one episode. And they're kind of using that to show us how the bridge crew, who we really don't know very well, like now we're seeing who they are and how they support each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Owo helping Detmer, get through her hesitation like we have a reason to care about them now and to see how they work with each other emotionally it just makes getting to know these um smaller characters feel deeper and more um just deeper
1: yeah yeah I really like how much more we're getting to see of the bridge crew and everyone getting like their moments of personality and you know I'm excited to see it sort of play out more consistently with other uh, Star Trek shows where we really get to know each of those bridge crew members and and sort of the different pieces of the puzzle that they provide. Because it has been a little engineering heavy in it always being like the Stamets, Tilly, Reno kind of quadrant. Also, I love that we get more uh, Hugh lately. We've gotten a ton yeah. of Colbert and I am here for more Wilson Cruz in my life.
0: He brings such a warmth and a sense of safety, but he's also really funny.
1: Yes. And he, so good. he Th- and they're so quippy, you know, it's like very mm-hmm. off kilter or not off kilter, but just like an aside. And then you're just like, damn, that was really fucking funny.
2: Well, th- the fact that we've been desperate for an empath on the show, someone who can just mm-hmm. recognize in other people pain points and just be sympathetic and, and look at people as people instead of um, vehicles for achieving and-, and goals, right? Like that's what Hugh brings to the show. And, is such a good balance and such a great um, element story-wise for being able to flesh out uh, character development without it feeling you know heavy-handed with just some back-and-forth dialogue that feels forced. Yeah, He is a character who would be looking for those entry points and asking people those questions because he's concerned about the well-being of everyone on the ship. And yeah. how he's moved from just being a medical doctor to also like a... Uh, a a psycho- psychological uh, like therapist for everyone is such a good call. I think.
1: Yeah, I've really been enjoying his character development, and I like to like kind of on the f- flip side for Stamets, we're getting to see him maintain that like low level pettiness, <laughs> like when he's like, "Have you been talking to Dimmer about me? Like, <laughs> why is everyone asking me this question?
2: <laughs> we hugged, but. I didn't fully mean it because no. I'm still a little bit bitter about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I,
0: I want to ask you guys and maybe the chat about this temporal war reference that we got mm-hmm. from the uh, the admiral. Like the time travel ban puts Disco in a slippery situation. Their their whole existence is a crime because nobody's supposed to be time traveling. I didn't watch a lot of Enterprise. I know the temporal cold war. With aliens traveling through time and fucking shit up was a big part of that show. Um, but I there, do like I think that. There was a book as well. Was there a book? I think okay. So. so are we? Are they still fighting that war? Is that why they were so running around everywhere? And are they? They just kind of devastated by it.
1: I, it feels like the the way I am interpreting the timeline, and I could be wrong. Um, is that this? There was like a new temporal war. Um, at some point in the early 30th century, I guess is what he said, um, and which came to an end with them just completely outlawing time travel, um, okay. which is very interesting when then you think about the conversation between Cronenberg and O, because he's talking about how essentially the... Which, there's some really fun, like, science nerd references in this episode. Like, from, like, the seed uh, bank, which actually exists on Earth, it's in Antarctica, it's very cool, um, to, like, the fact that the universe is constantly expanding, and so the concept that the distance between these mirror verses would also be expanding, and now we can't, like, there's no crossovers happening. Um, yeah, so... I forgot where I was going with this, but uh oh the temporal wars. Right. So I think the concept of like traveling between universes and time is now a crime.
0: And I, I like that it it made disco criminals or it gave the disco crew its motivation to try to prove themselves in this episode. And then we get off to the seed plot. So that would that work story-wise for me. I was just wanting to I want to know my my world building brain who loves world building wants to know all about this war and what happened, even though I know the show is just using it to put disco in a difficult situation. Like, well, you're not supposed to be here and you're really not supposed to be here because it's against a lot of time travel.
1: I'm, I'm wondering, though, if they're setting this up to be um, a possible like explanation for both the reason that everyone knows this one particular song and then the reason that we mm. haven't seen anyone from the Um the Tiran right, the Tiran uh Terran Terran universe. Um also I've seen it uh, on I think our Slack and a few other places, but do you think Cronenberg is from the Terran Empire?
0: Oh, well let's just talk about David Cronenberg for a minute. David Cronenberg, the director of the Fly Scanners, Dead Ringers, Crash, the Good One. I was in this episode.
1: Yes. So I have to tell you, when I saw he was going to be in this episode, I was a little worried that it was going to get very horror gore. Like he is the king of body horror specifically. So I'm just like, ooh, where are we going with this? If he is in this episode, like, is this about to get real gross? Like
0: (laughs) (laughs) it was, I think it was such a smart idea to cast Cronenberg, who is just this like living, breathing, aloof vibe of a person mm-hmm. like to play opposite Giorgio. because he's, he's so a vibe co- he's also a vibe because he's just so collected and she gets a she you know we've seen how we saw how cleverly she dispatched the the weird ai interrogators mm-hmm. or whatever they were and but cronenberg who I'm
2: assuming is actually Section 31.
1: Right. Me too. I feel Maybe. like
2: everyone is calling him Glasses or Mr. Glasses, Mr. Glasses. <laughs> in the chat, <laughs> by the way.
1: It's a, good, it's a good shorthand. They didn't give him a character name yet, so we no. don't know.
0: Well, I'm assuming he's Section 31. And and he doesn't fall for her shit because he's a student of Terran culture. He just sits back and watches the show, and like he's coolly analyzing her. And later... He pulls on her insecurities about the fall over the empire and all that. He and we immediately
2: get, identifies that that Burnham or someone on the mm-hmm. ship right. is someone. Yeah, yeah.
0: And we get a lot of subtext in this scene about what may have caused the burn. Maybe the Terrans were involved. Uh, it's really was a cool, unexpected vibe in this in this scene, and, and a good mystery plotting with two interesting characters. Um, it felt like um, who's a who's the filmmaker that they had on the Mandalorian last season? Like uh, Werner Herzog. The Werner uh, Herzog, yeah. Yeah, th- it's like disc, like Star Trek's version of that. It's kind of cool.
1: Um, right. Yeah, I also had the thought, so at one point, they've dropped a couple of little hints, I think, as to what has happened to Giorgio, because obviously something has happened to her beyond her just having, I think, this revelation that she's the last of her kind in this particular timeline, possibly. Um, but at one point, they make a... Uh, an aside about how one of the like stem cells of a Terran is like per- is in particular is what makes them so like violent and okay with violence
0: right mm-hmm.
1: Um and so I'm like did they inject her with something to get rid of that
2: right she has that yeah. catatonic moment
0: mm-hmm.
2: where she's just staring at a wall for a second and doesn't Burnham's for a while Burnham's trying to talk to her either. right and Burnham's like are you okay? And she's like, "What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm fine." But Update. or she's they gave been her. like fully
1: body snatched, and that is not her.
2: I doubt that, but it might be this kind of soma esque drug, right? This kind of uh, some kind of sort of tranquilizer thing that they're like, mm-hmm. "We assessed everyone. You are straight up a threat. We're just going to dose you."
0: Yeah, <laughs> it, about, it feels like the that they're show. it feels like they're writing a shortcut to make her less threatening and less of an evil character, like Spike on Buffy, like um, a number of characters, the one zombie guy on, on iZombie, you know, the, the, the great villain who's so much fun to have loses their memory and becomes a good guy. But I do think Disco will do something deeper with it. You know, I think they did dose her and they're trying to subdue her evil instincts. Well, I um, think,
2: yeah, Mariah's, point that this might be a a backdoor um method of of entering a section 31 show is so much more fascinating to me immediately than her and ash tyler and the dude who became control the one that they're they're trying to softball in in season two like this future tech like hey we're gonna mimic that ship and we're gonna have you guys be the time bandits that like go jump through time to, to fix stuff quantum leap style section 31 ruthlessly and have her her run the the shop with that grab non off the the seed chip she's back done
1: it would be great i'd be into it um yeah the other so i am very concerned about uh adira i don't like that we did not see her at the end
2: <laughs> it felt intentionally right nefarious right like is we have this guy who's now the Admiral Vance and there's immediately this sort of tension between Adira who's no longer really Senatal, but she has Senatal memories within her that you mm-hmm. can fu- not fully access. Um, and I think there's a little bit of like a power play there. That is one element that you have to consider and, Oh, I don't really want you here. You're a threat to, my authority and how I can run stuff. And we don't really know each other the way I knew Senatal.
1: Right. And I think Senatal was an admiral as well. So there could be, you know, maybe there's something interesting now that Adira knows that this admiral doesn't want everyone else to know. I, I'm hoping we get some answers in the in the next episode. But, um, yeah, I'm just like, it, it left a big, you know, when it's like the... Oh, what is it? Chekhov's gun? You know, like, this was like the reverse. I was like, we saw her in the beginning and now I want to see them again before we leave. Like, what happened?
2: <laughs> I was so mad at the end of the episode that we don't get a resolution there to the point where like, oh, I, I really have that character in my mind at the forefront because Adira is, what, 16, 17? In the show, Really yeah. young. Mm-hmm. And being taken off... To run scientific tests on a kid seems very so fucked foreboding. Up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the fact that Saru and Burnham just kinda of shrugging you know, are like, ah, we put full trust in this federation that everything's gonna be A OK there. I'm like, guys, don't. Like that could be the other entry point to there's something not <laughs> right afoot mm-hmm. with what this new federation is.
0: I think it's gonna lead up to absolutely nothing. Oh, they scanned me. I'm good. It didn't really seem like she um, was suppressing any more of the memories. Do of you think Senatol. maybe they no, just I didn't think... have anything else for the character here? Yeah. It's possible. They, yeah. This episode was so stuffed. And I think what they want to do with Adira is when she's in an episode, she's in an episode. You know, mm-hmm. I think the writers uh, and I'm using she pronouns because she. In the, the character, show, yeah, yeah, In the show, she's she right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll just go ahead and use they. So when the character uses it, I mean, when the writers use Adira in an episode, we've seen that they really want to focus mm-hmm. on Adira and their story and their development. And there wasn't really room for that in this. So I think it was just kind of a shorthand of like, let's write them out for a minute.
1: Yeah. Do you all um, have any theories about the lullaby?
2: I think that is so fascinating. This There's this shared memory across the universe of, of music. And part of me thinks that there's a message within it that no one mm-hmm. has figured out and been able to decode. But it's being sent by someone who communicates through music and is sending out on some subliminal wavelength. To everyone so everyone just kind of has this ingrained in their society like this song yeah but why it's... can't we figure it out
1: <laughs> yeah i wish uh, i'm trying to remember did um did non recognize the lullaby because i'm trying to figure out if it is no. a piece of okay because then i was like if it's a piece of music that our crew recognizes then it is much older, but if it's something that only all these people recognize and it's obviously yeah. something
2: it was their in the security officer in yeah. the okay. future that recognized it. Yeah.
0: Burnham Burnham only knows about it because Adira was played. playing it in the previous episode. Mm. But but yeah, that's that's odd. Um Adira played it on the cello in the last episode. Others on others in new Starfleet seem to recognize it despite the fact that they couldn't because communication between universes is so scattered. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably has something to do with Michael's mom. Oh, really? We, we, that seed uh, was dropped in this episode.
1: It's true that she where wanted to find her mom.
0: She, you know, and this episode was all about finding your home. Berna mm-hmm. never really had her home with her mom mm-hmm. in a secure way, or at least it didn't last long. And yeah, she think- talked about that uh, with Saru in a very. Very personal moment in this episode. So I think um, there's something deeper going on there.
1: And if I'm remembering correctly, you know, Michael's mom obviously jumped back through time wearing this red, the original red angel suit. Right. Or no, Mm -hmm. no. How did
0: I I don't remember what happened to her? I know she used a suit, but she used to get
1: back to her original time to this timeline if I'm remembering correct, chat, correct me if I am wrong. <laughs> I have, I've started rewatching season two before this one. And then I stopped when this one started. Cause I was just excited. Um, But I'll revisit it and, and double check for next week. But yeah, it would be interesting because what if Burnham's mom has also been hopping around through time, trying to figure out what the burn is or something at this point, because who knows how long it was between her coming back and and Discovery and Burnham jumping through, because we obviously saw there was a year gap between Burnham and Discovery. So what if there was another gap at the top of that timeline?
2: Yeah, what if the opening of the wormhole, the impetus, before they were able to travel through was 100 years chronologically previous and was the actual thing that caused the burn? Them opening the gap to jump through time, which is part of why time travel... It's not okay, and they are going to find out they caused a. I really don't galactic want to be the cause genocide, of the burn. right? I mean, I would that would be really something heavy.
1: I would really hate if they were the cause of the burn.
2: They save yeah. the entire universe, but there's a cost. Mm-hmm. So, like every episode, Michael Burnham's
0: like, "If we weren't here, you'd all this would all be dead. All gone.
2: Okay, all gone. But we saved it all." You know, an- another lingering thread that this show has presented to us while we're just in deep fringe theory territory um, is Mycelial Network and the JOSEP. And we saw when um, Hugh was trapped in there that he was a poison to the Mycelial Network and they were like, we have a very controlled world here and when you've jumped in and interrupted it. We can't heal ourselves and we're dying. So they pulled him out and Stamets was able to continue jumping around. But if the discovery ship jumps ahead in the future and that technology is a known thing to have worked, but they are looking to replicate it. What if in the future, few hundred years, they're still working to try and replicate the mycelial network jumping, uh sport drive ship. They can't fully do it, and they're getting dangerously close to destroying um, the mycelial network. Similar to how um, I'm sorry, I'm going way off the deep end here, aren't I? I was like, I'm
1: I'm having a little trouble following you, but I'm trying. Okay, okay.
2: (laughs) So what if what if after discovery jumps to the head, the rest of Starfleet or someone else is trying to replicate the spore drive? They mess with the mycelial network, and the mycelial network fights back in a way that it knows how. By making all of the dilithium explode across the galaxy. Because my SEAL network is a, is a network that exists simultaneously across the galaxy mm-hmm. and can affect it simultaneously. And what else can do that? What else could make all ships at the exact same time explode and all this dilithium like mess up?
1: Interesting. What A potential
2: idea. That's a good point. Yeah. And then maybe they sent out an apology in the form of music. <laughs> of like, hey, we want, didn't mean to do that. Here's a musical song. Hope that everything's forgiven. <laughs> so
1: wait, are you saying Discovery did this through the Mycelial Network or another ship did this through the Mycelial Network?
2: No. The, the Mycelial the, Network itself. Oh, the Mycelial uh, Network uh, caused, the the mushroom. The caused the burn because Starfleet or someone else <laughs> was, <laughs> <laughs> was messing with it. That That's all I'm thinking. <laughs>
0: um, that would be... But would that be a? I, I like where you're going, but would that be a compelling story? Do we really want to go back to the the entities in the mycelial network trying to act like weird, awkward baby humans and like like that one character did and us dealing with them again? I, don't
2: know. I mean, I think I, it's at the crux of the story, the spore drive. Mm-hmm.
1: It could be interesting. I'm like, I'm like half in on this theory with you, Grant. But what if instead of it being the mycelial network, what if it is one of the big bads that we haven't identified yet that is used, has yeah. also discovered the mycelial network and then used it for bad, right? Like because I think mm-hmm. there is yeah. always that uh, that sort of theme throughout Star Trek. And I mean anything right? with great power comes great responsibility. Thank you, uh, Spider-Man. But um, the idea that if everyone has access to something that's this big and this powerful, that is unregulated and unknown by people, then what happens when someone with bad intentions has access to it? That could be interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm calling out the chat. I need your theories on the burn and your theories on the song.
1: Yes, please. And I'm going to uh, – CJ, the song that never ends and it goes on and on, my friends, will now be stuck in my head for the rest of the night. Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> the the collective memory song reminded me of a plot point in Battlestar Galactica where some characters start listening – spoiler for Battlestar Galactica – start <laughs> hearing all along the watchtower.
1: Uh, and no one knows yeah, what yeah.
0: it is, but people – you know, they, it brings people together and all of a sudden we've – there's a revelation about everyone who knows that song, so – it's a big deal. True. True. Yeah.
1: Um, um, oh, I, I, I had a question for Mike about the relationship between Saru and Michael and how you're feeling about this captain and number one dynamic. To me, it feels very early uh, Janeway and Chakotay in which they're just yelling at each other a lot, but we'll eventually figure it out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I mean, uh, we had uh, Saru. Well, I don't know. These guys have been friends for a while, right? They've known each other for a while and I really like their conflict in this. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the chat real quick. Okay. Um, I thought Burnham and Saru's conflict was really well played and measured in this episode. Like she wants, she wants to like run and gun and sidestep the chain mm-hmm. of command. And he reminds her that that's not how Starfleet works. <laughs> that's not how the disco crew works. Yeah. And I really like this new captain number one dynamic. Because we we can have these scenes of private mini-conflicts between Saru and Burnham, because they have their different leadership styles. But, like, in true Star, Star Trek fashion, they come to an understanding. They debate, and they figure it out. And they always have each other's backs. They have the same goal. And they make each other better, and they come up with a plan that works with their conflict and debate. I think it's really good stuff.
2: Yeah. I love that we don't see Saru contradict or talk mm-hmm. down to mm-hmm. the ideas that Burnham presents. Even when Burnham probably is not following chain of command and is just like saying to the admiral, Hey, we're going to come step up in here. It's what we're going to do. Give us this information right now. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme. Give and it's like, hold up. We don't even know where you guys came from out of time yeah. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Saru has her back there and then later is like hey look um, you have your approach I have mine but like maybe let's just chill around these people who don't know who we are yet <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. like that's that's good effective like respect and leadership between them because ultimately Burnham's a little bit more reckless style is extremely effective right, he, uh, right. Saru's timid but at the same time they they need to balance each other out. It's a good pairing. I think the the dynamic is is fantastic right now.
0: Although I wouldn't characterize Saru as timid, I would characterize him as measured. Like he does do some risky and dangerous things for his crew, and to keep everyone safe and do the right thing. So he's definitely not timid, but he is measured. Gangly like he's is not, gone, he, baby. You're exactly exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's he he's not going to sidestep protocol, but
1: ready if, to go.
0: But yeah. He's ready to go. He's definitely not timid. Um, can we yeah, talk so about so I'm really the sh-
2: enjoying that dynamic. Can we talk about the ships? I thought you guys were going to talk about this right at the top. I know. But, uh, we
1: kind of jumped in. But, yeah, there's some fun um, references yeah. as we're coming in. I mean, I literally started, like, jumping up and down in my seat when the Voyager came across the screen. I got very, very excited. I didn't um, know what to
2: make of that. Explain the significance of what's it's going on it's just the 11th voyager yeah.
1: ship and and Big deal. what's interesting too is, is it like a generation
2: these... ship like you were talking about
1: no yeah. so it just oh. so you know how we've had multiple enterprises
2: because yeah because they keep enterprise getting because they blew destroyed. up or whatever dash <laughs> yeah. there's
1: enterprise A, enterprise B, enterprise C um and so that's just like each time they rebuild the ship and they just give it the same name but it's upgraded um so this would be the 11th re- like rebuild of voyager but it's kind of funny because none of these characters actually know voyager at all because it didn't exist in their timeline so they were just really excited to see what kind of a ship it was um and then we got the constitution which is the same class ship as enterprise i was really thinking we were going to see an enterprise but i guess they didn't want to take any attention away from discovery at this point but perhaps we'll encounter our our in the future enterprise at some point um, and then there's the USS Nog. Did you catch that one, Mike?
0: Of course I did. It's a it's a DS9 reference. Mm-hmm. And I <laughs> actually had to go back and see it because um, someone mentioned it in our Slack. And I was like, oh, wow. So I went back to that shipyard scene and there it was the USS Nog. And there is a memory alpha entry for it now. It's an Eisenberg... <laughs> It's an Eisenberg class ship, Aww. which is a tribute to Aaron Eisenberg mm-hmm. from DS Nine, who played the Ferengi Nog, who passed away last year. So that was a really nice tribute, and it makes sense in canon because um, Nog is a great character in DS Nine, who had a a really profound uh, character arc from where he started to where we saw him end, and I can believe that this is the type of character would have a Uh, a starship in Starfleet named after him. So that was great.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed all of the fun references. And then there was um, also, if you noticed, uh, thank you, Den of Geek, for the listicles of all of the references. I appreciate it every week because it it adds to things. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, The new Starfleet uniforms uh, are the same color coded system as TNG era. Um, So the the red is for Mm -hmm. command. Um, So I thought that was also kind of cool. And then I loved the moment for Saru as well, where he gets to find out that uh, Kaminar joined the Federation, I could see, like, what a beautiful moment for Doug Jones to really, I'm always so impressed with how much emotion he can portray through that makeup. It is wildly impressive every single time.
2: It's like he knows how to make his eyes water just enough Mm -hmm. to be like, pride.
1: I'm emotional. (laughs) But yeah, I thought that was really great.
2: What does so, the organic ship look like? That's where I want to see David Cronenberg right. shine. Uh, so Have that, your skin <laughs> this ship that's all bubbly and movie with skin or some shit.
1: So that's um. There's been organic ships before in Trek, specifically in Voyager. There is a species, species eight five died, blah blah blah. Lots of numbers. It's the only that's one that's right. That the board
2: but it wasn't a Starfleet ship.
1: No, but it was an organic ship. So I would imagine at people this just point, flying
2: around in the space whales.
1: <laughs> this technology had kind of made its way through. But I think that's kind of, it's it's cool and interesting. So I'll be, I want to see all the new tech get integrated into Discovery, at least a little bit. I don't want Discovery to change a lot, but I'm hoping we get some like really nifty upgrades. Um, the other- big, Yeah,
0: like the like the new holographic space helmets they had in this episode. Yeah,
1: there was a couple of cool things like that. Um, also, we finally get confirmation of how many member states there are again, or-, uh, or There are now. So there's 38 down from 350 at its peak. Um I don't think we've ever gotten like a solid, solid number before. And then the other
2: decimated. That's like literally decimated, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not good. And then the other sort of interesting. Um, and if people want to start putting in their like comments and questions for us while I run down Mariah's uh tangent of references that were (laughs) in this episode. Yes. Um Admiral Vanson, a couple of times they they talk about the Emerald Chain, which is apparently the alliance between the Andorians and the Orions. And I think that's very funny that they've called it the Emerald Chain because it's just blue and green combined. Um, <laughs> but they are in the Sigma Draconius system, which the last time um, the we got like a, an episode taking place in that system was the original series. Um, and it's the Spock's Brain episode. So let's hope uh, a Spock brain has not been stolen again.
0: (laughs) Um, All right. If you're watching us live, go ahead and drop in some comments for us in the chat. I like this chat. I like this uh, comment from Carolyn K3, who says Saru is definitely giving Picard vibes. And Michael is now Riker. And I'm here for it.
1: Yeah, it is very much that. I think a typical captain number one relationship in a lot of ways. I can see it as Picard and Riker, but also like Janeway and, uh, and Chakotay, I think also have those moments of you get to see where each one of them shines um, and what makes them a good team.
0: Curran uh, says, I don't think Starfleet is evil. They're still trying to help people uh, within their limited resources. It actually felt like a realistic portrayal of what they've been forced into to survive now. I think that's a, I think that's really true. I agree with that too.
2: I think that's a fair assessment. And we of course are going to be coming into this episode with our biases of our Alliance to the disco crew. Right. And so from our outsider perspective, kind of like theirs, we're going to have our hackles up whenever anything's (laughs) happening to them and be like, no, you can't do that. Uh, Cassie S
0: has a question for us what technology would you like to see incorporated on Discovery during its retrofit if it has one and why would you and what would you like to see remain
2: keep the spore drive keep the spore drive and uh (laughs) skin suit organic skin suit (laughs) I I (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, i'm all
2: about this now
1: i'm hoping we get something <laughs> cooler for stamets to drive with the sport drive and i think we've seen a preview of that as a possibility in some of the trailers for this season so i Putting think that's hands in the goo yeah i love the individual transporters, so i'm hoping everyone gets outfitted with those and then i also like the com badges that are like the projecty computers i think that's also a fun piece of tech um And then who knows if we get to see uh, Kayla, you know, Dittmar Dittmar, um, get a brand new way to fly the ship, you know, a la like book ship and see what that might be like. But I'd imagine that would be quite a learning curve. So, Mm -hmm. But that could be like maybe the moment that that maybe inevitably breaks her at some point. You know, she has to learn this brand new technology and it's like very intense. But who knows?
0: I would say definitely keep the spore drive. Upgrade the spore drive. I think we're going to see that. I don't want another ship to have the spore drive, though. I want Disco to be the only ship with the spore drive. They have, but in terms of updates, um, I like this idea of organic um, things being worked into the the show in the ship now. So I just keep thinking about um, that really nice wood. Corner in books, ship. Mm-hmm. Give me some more like natural, you know, uh, natural fibers and stuff. Yeah. Give me some wood on the disco. I think not, we'll see not it. just,
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, I think we'll see it in some give me wood disco <laughs> in Saru's uh ready room because he's obviously super into plants. So
2: true, very true. Yeah, uh, I wanted to bring up in a, a part of the show where I don't remember the guy. Are they? non Bajoran? Bazarin? I don't remember what it was. Bazarin. Bazarin. The guy wanted to stay with his family. Mm-hmm. He wanted to die with them. They, they t- touched on protocol of Starfleet to no- leave no man behind and the conflict between that and the cultural sensitivity, and I thought it was kind of this interesting point, and it didn't go too far into it, but it was this little sense of conflict that I was like, oh, I I, want to kind of explore a little bit more of um, being sensitive to that culture. And then they took all of what exists of that culture and sent it away on a sea C-chip. <laughs> we never see it again,
0: yeah. <laughs> which felt weird to me. It was such an odd resolution. It was set up as this great ethical conundrum between do we honor this guy's culture and let him stay on the ship and grieve for his dead family until he dies or do we violate his will and take him and the ship with us to preserve this vital knowledge and history that's on the ship and they resolve this by again non choosing to stay with the ship which okay i guess that makes sense but her staying and how that worked wasn't super clear as to how it would solve everything yeah it was an odd resolution. I did like that. They tried to go there with this, this ethical conflict.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And hopefully we'll, we'll see more of, of the Barzans. I think it's an interesting culture. I'd like to at least see some more of, especially now that they're one of the only few members of the Federation we have left.
2: Uh, Cassius agrees. Like why was it significant for him to die with his family? Um, And why, after they had already died, did he preserve them? And I mean, I guess you don't want them rotting, (laughs) not to be too, you know. Well, I think
1: it it was also a a point to their cultural um, importance of probably some sort of burial rituals or something like that, right? Would be my guess um, for things like that. what i was just gonna ask just one of those
2: interesting threads i'm like oh i want more and i was like oh i'm not gonna get it they're gonna resolve the rest of this episode pretty quickly here um there there was a couple things like you know i'd mentioned like these new mysteries that popped up and and just kind of run through them we now have in addition to like what is the burn And what is the relationship between Linus and Giorgio? And is Grudge actually the secret uh, queen of the galaxy? I want her Uh, to be. (laughs) We we now have, what is this music that everyone uh, is now? uh, What if the cat plays the piano? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Why is Giorgio suddenly kind of drifting into catasonic states? Um, Who Who is is David Cronenberg? Who's Mr. Glasses? Mr. Glasses. uh, where the fuck is Adira <laughs> that's those are my lingering questions at the end of this episode
1: yeah I also I think we'll get to see did y'all and spoiler alerts if anyone didn't get to see the preview for next week you can fast-forward whatever 30 seconds but um, or p- not mute me or something um but they're kind of giving out tasks to people. It's all of these captains around and the Admiral sort of divvying up things to do. And he has to reveal to all of these captains that there's now a ship that can travel with a spore drive. And of course, Saru is like, we could do it, we could do it. And they're like, no, you're like very important. We need you for like emergency things only at this point. But I'm wondering how all of these captains are going to react to this brand new ship with these brand new people they don't know kind of swooping in to become these hero type figures for them. And then also how jealous are all these captains going to get that they don't have this four drive
2: in the future? There is no ego Mariah. (laughs) I
1: think they're all going to be so
2: chill about this. (laughs) The burn changed all that grant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, you're right. Like, is everyone going to be super jealous and, and like, toxic about this and this is kind of like a throwback to the first season right when it was so crucial to preserve the Discovery ship because of its unique ability to jump anywhere they're like we don't want you as part of the battle was that first or second season I think it was the first yeah like we don't want you as part of this battle take a take a step back because we need to handle this war and you need to just jump in when we need you and they're like no we can do a lot more
0: yeah, I uh... Yeah, uh, how do you guys feel about um the disco now taking their cues from the Admiral? They agreed at the end of this episode that we're we're here to serve you. We're here to serve Starfleet and Discovery, and he's basically gonna be sending them out on missions.
2: Mixed. Is that I, I anticipate a power play at some point, but I'm not sure. Does Star Trek go into politics and, and power play a la Game of Thrones kind of style? Like People Deep wanting leadership, did.
1: yeah, yeah. Deep Space Nine definitely does. Um, and then you know, with uh, the very beginnings of, of Voyager as well, when they bring on um, Chakotay's team, who are originally from sort of a fringe group, who is at battles and odds with the Federation. Um, the Maquis.
2: The Maquis. Yeah. He's the Maori dude, right?
1: May- I don't, I don't know who Chakotay is. Chakotay is the guy with the like face tattoo.
0: Okay.
2: Anyway, he's, he was—he's uh, not Jane from Earth. Was
0: number one,
1: he was not from. Oh, I don't remember.
2: I, I thought it was just like, I—I I was assuming. Anyway, Mayor. Okay.
0: How does a guy <laughs> on a Star Trek podcast not know who Chakotay is? Do we get that question yet? It's gonna happen. <laughs> it'll happen. It, it'll happen. It'll be a comment,
1: <laughs> and then I'm gonna be super embarrassed because now I can't remember because it's been a hot minute since I've dug into the origins of chakotay i don't think he was was he from earth anyway yeah i know he's okay anyway but i'm like did he grow up a human man yes um i saw something posted on a vulture recap and it was um talking about like the relationship between The burn and the possibility of the music. And I'm like, what if this music is the music that, like, the frequency of the music is what caused the burn? And so it's ingrained in everyone's memory because it's this weird traumatic point. That could also be kind of interesting. I'm really into the music thing. I'm, I'm like excited about the possibilities here.
2: But two episodes ago, was it two episodes, man? I'm, yeah, two episodes ago. We had the episode where, I hate how I'm talking right now. (laughs) Hey, two episodes ago, we had this uh, point of conflict between Saru and Burnham where she jumped, she didn't tell him what she was going to do and she and Book went and jumped into that uh, other ship and like saved the day by breaking protocol or whatever, right? Um. And he says this really great line of that that trust is going to have to be an assumption from us between us from now on. Like it, it's, right? There, there's there's a frayed trust there, and they're just going to have to assume rather like than implicitly knowing, I guess. And I thought it was it was really well phrased, really eloquent of, of Saru to kind of say that. And I was wondering how you guys feel about their. Relationship in this episode. I know we kind of already touched on it, but are are they growing cr- closer in their trust here, or are they still a little bit fractured and they're they're kind of squabbling over details?
0: Yeah, I like the the conflict and relationship they have, but I think they're always going to have the same goal, which is to serve the Federation and Starfleet, and of course their ship, their family. Um, they might go about it in different ways. Uh, But I think that battling it out in that conflict that we're probably going to see in every episode is going to make them both better people. Yeah, I I don't think there's going to be much of a power play.
1: Yeah. Mm. And I think they sort of tied it together nicely at the end of this episode when, you know, Burnham is like, to me, the people are Starfleet in the Federation, where I think the institution of it is maybe something that is a little bit more important to Saru because of the way he was brought into the Federation. It was through these sort of rules and regulations of like, Oh, he's now technologically more advanced than the rest of his people. And he has this desire. So let's bring him in. Um, and, and he had to sort of, I think it's, it's also interesting because he is the first Kelpian, probably had to play by the rules way more than anyone else to get the respect that he deserved. Right. And so right. I think they're coming from this in two different angles where, Burnham has essentially had to relearn her humanity from being brought up on Vulcan and is now very attached to that side of her after her time away from the crew versus Saru, who has had to use the rules and regulations to his to his advantage and his knowledge base in order to get to the point where he is today. So um, I agree with you, Mike, I think they're going to be at odds, but always sort of this complementary pairing the whole time.
0: We have time, I think, for one more comment. Elizabeth Acosta says, The soundtrack this season is really great. I hadn't really noticed it in previous seasons as more than just the background, but it's really in the forefront. Do y'all feel it? Sometimes. Sometimes I think it's really good. I think it can be a little overbearing like it was in a few scenes last episode, but here it really helped drive the emotion.
1: Yeah, I think it's also perhaps uh, purposeful that they're really tying in some more musical elements to the show if music is in fact going to be playing a big part in the plot as well. I think that's them being very sneaky, but very clever.
0: Making ah, Jeff Russo so earn his money. Yeah,
1: clever. Well, they all worked so hard. They recorded a full freaking orchestra remotely, individually, and then layered it like in post so just like again bow downs to post-production teams you've all gone above and beyond
2: indeed it's just stitching 31 tracks together it's more than 31 tracks (laughs) 32 it's
1: like it's probably at least a 250 track pro tool session i would i would guesstimate
2: at least
0: no thank you all right anything else to say about this episode
1: I mean, I think it got us from point A to point B of some pieces that we needed to know. Is it my favorite we've had so far? Um, You know, no. I think last week was going to be pretty hard to top for me um, in a couple of ways. But I think next week looks really cool um, with this uh, kind of collective of captains. And then it also looks like maybe we get a burnham Giorgio, go rogue mission, which I'm also excited about. So we'll see.
2: Yeah, I I think the revelation of what starfleet is it's interesting it could have been a jaw-dropping moment but that might not fit the overall beats of what they need for the season so i'm along for the ride though obviously yeah we're doing this podcast obviously (laughs) i love it
0: (laughs) yeah i am excited to see uh more of the universe being built all right thank you so much for joining the pod this week remember you can find us live on YouTube and all the other places every Thursday, 9 p.m. Central, Talking Trek. Uh, Mariah. Yes. Your turn.
1: Excellent. So... One more time, please make sure you have subscribed to the pod. Uh, if you're here on YouTube or on Twitch, you can subscribe to our channels as well. And on YouTube, hit that notification bell so you know when we're about to go live. It'll let you know. Um, you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts specifically. Um, that helps other people find the show. So we really appreciate those there. Um, and shouts to everyone who's already done that. You can find links to everywhere you can find this podcast at startrickpod.co.
2: Um, Patreon.com slash startrickpod if you're already there, you know. And if you have any ideas for a particular content you're wanting us to cover, we love seeing that and tackling new ideas for y'all.
1: Perhaps some Hit more Mirrorverse episodes we should talk about.
2: Oh, we can just talk about things related to the theme Mirror, like Justin Timberlake's song Mirror.
0: I'm Everyone, good. please I'm remember good. to follow us on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at Star Trek Pod. Tweet about this pod episode. Shout out to Karen, who helps run our Twitter, and James Worm, who helps run our Insta. What are we saying about mirrors, Grant? Mirror, it's like mirror. in my mirror. <laughs> Mariah, <laughs> where can we find you online? You
1: can find me on all social platforms, at Mariah Gossett. That's Mariah with a Y and a Gossett with two S's and two T's.
2: Grant Davis. Uh, Baron Vaughn Grant.
0: Follow me on Insta and Twitter at mike moody garcia thanks for watching thanks for listening live long and prosper
2: bye